He is risen. Happy Easter, Element 3 Church. I am so glad you are joining us on this Easter Sunday. I am Mike Overstreet, one of the pastors here, and this is just the best day of the year. And I actually want to begin our Easter message today by talking about one of the first great adventures of my young adult life. You see, I was 18 and I was about to go off to college to the University of Florida, go Gators, and I wanted to see a bit of the world before I ventured out into this next season of college. So I had worked through high school, I had worked at this local comic shop, I had saved up a little bit of money. So in a semi-impulsive moment of decision-making, I bought a plane ticket and decided to go with one other friend to the country of Ireland where I backpacked and hostel hopped and just wandered essentially for a few weeks. It was one of the great stories of my life and I could say there's so many parts of it that I could share that have been powerful and have stuck with me from that trip. But for today, I actually wanna talk about what that trip taught me about stereotypes, expectations, and the impact of weather when it comes to traveling. You see, we don't often acknowledge it, but all of us, every single one of us over the course of our lives, learn and accept a large number of stereotypes about various people, places, and cultures in the world. Stereotypes that become tapes in our heads that play about what these places and people and cultures must be like. Stereotypes that ultimately develop expectations within us. And what I have found since my trip to Ireland, as I have gone all over the world, is this one truth that 99.9% of the time traveling to these places exposes these stereotypes and these expectations to be half-truths at best and usually utterly wrong. Most of them end up becoming ridiculous when you actually go there. It is something that has happened to me over and over and over again in my trips to Guatemala, to Uganda, to Russia, to Ireland. Each time I came to find that I had these stereotypes and expectations in me and I only discovered them when I visited these places, found the unexpected, and had to feel them completely get blown up. In each case, the people there, the cultures, the experiences, the spaces were so much more diverse and powerful and dynamic than I ever could have imagined. But I actually don't wanna talk about these areas where I was proven wrong in my trip to Ireland. I actually want to talk about the 0.1% of that trip where those stereotypes and those expectations that I held were 100% proven right. That is, in my experience with Ireland's weather. You see, I had grown up hearing all these stories about how Ireland is this rainy, dreary, no sunshine place, right? I had heard all sorts of probably poor taste jokes about activities that it leads us to do in these countries. And I was in my mind, I thought I was ready for it. You see, I was like, I'm ready, I know what's coming, bring on this new kind of climate. And oh my goodness, was I wrong. Nothing could have prepared me for what I discovered there. You see, I spent the vast majority of my life living in Florida. I am Florida grown and raised, and I walked off that plane into an alien world. I suddenly felt like I was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. We ain't in Florida anymore. You see, the average day in my time in Ireland looked a little something like this. It was this crazy mix of overcast sky and then this constant misting drizzle. It was something that was neither rain nor fog. It was not heavy enough to actually be real rain, but it was too 
much to be called mist and fog. You see, it was somehow this rain that was strong enough for you to know that you were getting wet, but never strong enough to actually get you soaked or make you stand inside. And it was like this every single day. We would go entire stretches, weeks, without actually ever seeing the sun shine directly on us. And as a Florida boy, that was, it was mind-blowing. And because of this constant overcast sky and rain, there was this moment on that trip that in Florida would have passed me right by. But because of the place I was in, because of the space I was in, it was a moment that hit me and has stuck with me ever since. You see, we are walking through the countryside on the way to our next hostel. This is actually one of the pictures from that experience. And it was as it always is, right? It was cloudy, it was overcast, it was dreary, it was raining. And we were getting wet as we wandered along. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, this happened. The sun just broke through. It was like the rain suddenly stopped, the clouds parted, and for the first time in what felt like years, sunshine flooded in. It washed over my face and the landscape more directly than it had that whole trip. I mean, it was so surprising. It was like suddenly light came in the darkness. And at first I just basked in it, right? It was, ah, uh, the light, the warmth, that little taste of Florida, ah, uh, Florida, right? I just enjoyed the sun in this part of the world that just didn't see it all that often. But here's the part that stuck with me. You see, it's what happened after I opened my eyes. After sitting in it for a moment, I opened my eyes and it was like the entire world had transformed around me. Somehow it was still the same place. It was still the rolling hills. It was still the mountains. It was still Ireland. But at the same time, now it was somehow totally different. It was totally new. The light exposed new colors. It exposed new images. It exposed new life all around me. It was like I had never truly seen Ireland before that moment where the sun came through. And here's what's fascinating about it. You see, it lasted beyond the moment of sunlight. It was like as if things never could be the same for the rest of my time there. You see, eventually the weather went back to being rainy and dreary, but from then on, it was as if I could see past it, as if I could see through it. It was as if I could never quite see the world the same way as I did before it was lit up and brought to life. From then on, I could see beneath the rain and the clouds as if the sun was shining all along. And I cannot think of a better experience to use to try to understand the end of our story in the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been covering in God Part 2. See, it's this final story centered around a truly bizarre claim that Jesus' death on a Roman cross was not the end of his story, that he walked out of the tomb he was laid in after being crucified, resurrected by God to life on the other side. An event the earliest disciples came to believe was the culmination of the whole biblical story that somehow in this moment we find the ultimate victory of God over evil and death. The beginning of God healing and liberating his creation. An event so powerful that for those who witnessed it, the world never looked or felt the same way 
again. It was as if a divine ray of light had broken through the clouds and completely changed how they thought about what they once believed was a dreary, rainy world. This is what this whole story of the new exodus in the Gospel of Matthew has been building to this moment of resurrection. And we sat in what came to it, the climax that built to it this past week during Holy Week. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, God made flesh, had arrived in Jerusalem to bring about his kingdom after years of ministry. God arriving to his people as a king to dwell with them, to lead them, to heal them, to call them into his story, to finally go about making right all that had gone wrong in his good world. But did what took place over the stories of Holy Week look like everything was set right in the end? No, not, not at all. Jesus was rejected by the leaders of Israel, those in power saw him as a threat to their position, and they plotted successfully to have him arrested as a false king and a rebel against the Roman state. And after years of ministry and mere hours, Jesus was abandoned by the 12 disciples, his closest friends. He was found guilty in a sham of a trial, and he was condemned to die in a fickle decision by just a, a bothered Roman governor. And then the Romans set out doing what they did best, what they had done to thousands before Jesus and thousands after Jesus. They tortured him, they crucified him, they nailed him to a Roman cross. The same fate as rebels, criminals, innocent bystanders, and would-be kings before and after. An event only preserved by three faithful female disciples of Jesus who stayed after the others had abandoned him to his fate. They watched as he died. They watched as his body was taken down and put in a tomb. They watched as a boulder was rolled in front of the tomb. And they watched as that stone slammed their story shut. It's over. Can you imagine what was going on in their heads in that moment where that stone slammed into place. You left everything for years at this point to follow Jesus and what a journey it had been. You watched him heal people and perform miracles. You saw him show deep compassion to human beings, especially the outsiders, the broken, the rejected, those who had never been included in anything. You saw him tell them that he loved them, that they were invited in, that they were a part of God's kingdom in this new exodus breaking in. You heard him teach about this new way of living in this world, this different path, an upside down path of peace, contentment, joy, generosity, justice, mercy, and grace. A way defined by loving our enemies, blessing others more than ourselves, learning to see every part of this stupid life as a gift, beginning and growing to see all human beings with dignity that they deserve as image bearers of God. A way that Jesus promised those who followed him would be the path God would use to make them a conduit for the healing and the restoring and the liberating of his world. And in that, he invited everyone into this radical, beautiful, upside-down worldview, grounded in a God who is truly good, loving, and trustworthy, 
a God who said that he would not stop trying to bless his world, that nothing would get in the way of him making things right. And after all of that, this happens. Over just a few hours, Jesus gets obliterated in what just epitomizes how our world has always seemed to work in human history. The powerful get to determine right and wrong, usually in a way that benefits themselves. And as usual, they determine Jesus is a threat. And in just hours, this innocent man is tried, condemned, and killed. And like that, it's over. Can you imagine, just, can you imagine that at all? I mean, we've heard this story so many times, but can you imagine what they were thinking when that stone slammed shut? I can only tell you honestly what I would have been thinking in that moment. I would have been thinking, yep, this checks out. Same old world as it's always been for all of human history. It was nice to daydream that maybe the clouds and the rain might actually end. But as always, that brief bit of sun that we felt when we were with Jesus is eventually swallowed up, blocked out once again by the clouds, the rain, the downpour. And I don't know, I think in that moment I would be telling myself that Jesus' stuff was nice and all, but it's time to return to reality. The reality of my world is the reality of the cross, the reality of might makes right, the reality of eye for an eye, the reality of do whatever you need to do to get yours and get by. Because that's just how this world works and it's best to just accept it, to learn to live with it, and to forget all this new Exodus stuff at all. It's best just to move on and do my best to survive. Anyone else think that they might be thinking that after witnessing the last week. I just know I would. And yet, these disciples exit this story with a radical claim. They end up looking at the cross, the symbol of this world as they've always known it. And somehow they come out saying, that's not actually the way this world works in God's story. Somehow, They exit this story of rain and drear, believing wholeheartedly that despite all of it, despite all they've seen, evil does not get the last word in God's world and God's story. They exit saying Jesus was right all along, that it wasn't just his death that happened on the cross, but somehow it was God's victory over evil and death. And I don't know about you, but I would be like, why would you possibly believe that after everything you've seen? How could you believe that? to which they would have responded, well, it's because we saw a moment when sun broke through and it changed everything about how we saw our world before and since. It's a story of sunlight captured in Matthew 28, verse one. We read after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen just as he said. 
Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell the other disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. They clasped his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the category, shattering moment of the gospel of Matthew. This moment of resurrection. Jesus appears to them. He greets them. He comforts them. He declares that he's been resurrected by the power of God, that the king is alive. And then he goes on to tell the other disciples. And then Matthew's story just ends. This is how Matthew's new Exodus story ends, simply and to the point. And the rest of the New Testament is all about the disciples just trying to wrap their minds around what happened in this moment, trying to unravel all that it means for them and their world. This turns their lives upside down and transforms how they see and exist in the midst of this world. You see, they knew as first century Jewish people that the Bible was all about God confronting evil and death. They had read their scriptures, they knew their Old Testament, and they expected that this victory of God would arrive through one dramatic moment, a new act of new creation. It wasn't about God starting over or taking them somewhere else one day. It was a story of God bringing the Garden of Eden here once and for all. And they believed that that would happen at some point in the future, that the clouds and rain would just poof, go away forever. There would be sunshine eternally. It's like an eternal Florida, right? And that is the story that they're expecting. This dramatic moment of the renewal of all things, and then bam. Instead, what do we find? We find this moment of resurrection in the middle of human history. A ray of light breaking through the middle of all that clouds and all the rain, not taking us out of it, not taking us from it, but changing how we exist and see our world within it. A pocket of new creation bursting into the present world to meet us where we're at and invite us to see our world in a dramatically different way. This is what Matthew's new Exodus story has been building to, this moment when God, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, joins us as a new human being, a new kind of humanity, living amongst us in our old way of being human, to show us a different way and to set us free to live it out, to be a conduit of what he wants to do in our world. This new Exodus is about this moment when God entered our world, looked into the face of evil, confronted it, and defeated it the only way you can, not by fighting evil with evil, but by taking all that it had, even its ultimate weapon of death, and through the resurrection power of God, rising out the other side of the tomb, declaring that it hath no power over him or his good world. This is the story of God from this point forward. The rain and the clouds may remain for a while, but the sun has already broken through and lit up the world in a new way. In the light of new creation bursting out of the tomb into our world, beginning to set things right. This is what it leads to. 
God declaring his new exodus victory over evil and death through resurrection because the king is alive. See, the story of Easter is so much more than just believing that dead people can come back to life. It's about what world we live in, what story directs that world, and how the resurrection and new creation changes everything about how we live within it. See, this story lets us look at the crucifixion, the symbol of all that evil has to offer, all that evil can do to us, and we can believe that out of it comes Easter resurrection and God's new life. Don't you think that if you actually believed that, that maybe, just maybe, you might start to wonder, maybe I don't understand this world as well as I thought I did, or how I'm supposed to live within it. See, I think our world tells us all the time it works one way, that evil defeats people like Jesus, that the death gives those with power, or the power to wield it, the ability and the right to determine how our world operates. And Jesus says in the moment of Easter, no, that's not how it operates. That's not how God's world operates at all. It will never operate that way ever again. See, from now on, Jesus says to the resurrection, it's gonna operate the way God intended it to through self-sacrificial love, through mercy and compassion for the most broken, through forgiveness and the loving of our enemies, through generosity and blessing, through rejecting the cycles that break our world, through dying to ourself to find true life on the other side. He says, this is how the kingdom of God will be built. This is what the new Exodus looks like. This is how I expect you as my people to live in this world. And that looked quite silly for a moment, did it not? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, for a moment we were like, I don't know, Jesus, I'm not sure your worldview is what wins in the end. But then what happened? A beam of sun broke through the clouds and proved that the world isn't the way we thought it was. And it will not be that way ever again. It proved that Jesus was right all along. And it invited us, it liberated us to see the world as Jesus tells us it is and to become this new kind of human being, following a king who is victorious in a new exodus, liberating us from evil and death that had finally arrived. That is the new exodus of God. That is Easter. And I wanna close by just speaking personally to you, element three. You see, this is the good news of Easter for me. I don't know about you, but I live in a world that tells me that Jesus' teachings and his worldview are lovely and all, but they're naive at best. It tells me that it's nice to think that Jesus has some good ideas, but sadly, the way he lived and called us to live just doesn't jive with the way this world really works. And without this story of Easter and resurrection, my life and my experiences tend to back that understanding of the world up. And I know many of you are with me in this season. I know in this season, many of you feel like this world is just a dreary, rainy place. I know the stories in our world. I know the stories going on in this community. I know my own story. For some, we had stories that tell us that this world is just a place of tragedy, illness, loss, and grief that our world is just a place of sickness, a place where people get cancer out of nowhere. It's just a place of death. 
It's a place where people get sick and have their lives turned upside down, and all they can do is maybe find a little ease from that by hurrying up and burying it, by not thinking about it, by learning to cope and live with it. It's a world that tells you just to survive because this is all you're going to find, this sickness. Or for many others, it's stories that they're given about this world that whisper that this is just a place where we're bound to what has always broken us. That those cycles of brokenness, whether they're addictions or whether they're just patterns in our lives that hurt us, that we can't change them because they're just who we are. We've been given stories about this world that tell us that our brokenness is just who we are, that we can't change. That the story of Jesus is nice and all, but it's not one for me because I know who I am. Or maybe for you, it's the stories you hold about this world being a place of isolation and despair. That this world, what it means is that you will always be alone. You'll always find heartbreak because you are unworthy of love. Maybe you've been given stories about this world that say that you can't be okay without someone else telling you you're okay. And that has left you sad and alone. Or finally, maybe what you've found about this world is the stories of the cross that tell us that this world is a place where the powerful will always get to just determine right and wrong, where evil and death will get the last word. And those of us who don't like that, who want to see things made new, just have to learn to deal with it because it's just the way the world is. That this world is a place of suffering that can't and won't ever be redeemed or made right. I don't know which of these stories you're bringing into this Easter, but I do know that we all have them. And what I need you to hear is that in those experiences and stories, the story of Easter tells us two things. First, through Easter, God tells us, I know you're hurt and I am with you. Make no mistake, this Easter story does not deny or ignore or downplay those realities. It is the story about a God who sees, hears, and comes to be with us and experience the pain of our world. It is the story of a crucified God. It refuses to shy away from or diminish the reality of your pain. I need you to hear that. It honors your suffering. It honors your grief. It honors your loss in the most real way, in the way of a God who comes and joins into it with you. But I need you to hear this next part. See, this is what brought me back to spirituality. This is it. It was the central unwavering claim at the heart of this Easter story when it comes to how we experience those realities, E3. It says those parts of our world are real, but they do not get to define what this world is, how it operates, and more than anything, where the story of God says it will end. It doesn't get to define our world, and it doesn't get to define you either. This is a story about how God's good world will be made right, and it's a story about how you are an image bearer of God, and in his story, evil will not get the final word. Not ever. You are loved. You are invited into a new story, a story of resurrection, a story of a God who stops at nothing to make things right. And for me, that story changed everything. It let me face what's broken and still embrace the idea that there's a truer reality moving underneath it. It let me feel the sting of my wounds 
to own them, to acknowledge them, and still have hope that resurrection and new life can come out the other side of them. It let me see and name the realities of evil, suffering, brokenness, and death, and still hold stubbornly to trust and belief and faith that they do not get the last word on who I am or on this good world. And you might ask why. What on earth would lead you to believe with everything going on in our world that that is possibly how things work? Well, it's because I found a story about evil giving someone all it had to offer. And on the other side, there was an empty tomb. It's because in the middle of what I used to think was a rainy and cloudy world, I saw the sun break through and everything lit up. And ever since, it's been more beautiful and full of color. And I began to wonder, maybe, just maybe, I don't know this world as well as I thought I did. Maybe, just maybe, with a different story, with the right story, I and my world could change. Because of that new Exodus story of Easter, I have never been the same. You see, for me, that's what it means to find the story of Easter. That's what it means to experience the resurrection. That's what it means to live within the victory of the new Exodus story to truly believe in the victory of God, Christ our King, victorious, Christ our risen King. Let's pray. Father God, it's so easy to believe that things don't get better. It's so easy to feel lost in a world that so often tries to break us. It's so easy to feel like you are absent and silent when we face things like the cross. But God, you are the God of Easter. You are the God of victory. You are the God of resurrection and new life. And you are the God that promises light breaking through into what has always seemed dark. We thank you, God, for coming to be with us, for meeting us where we're at, for loving us where we're at, for showing us a different way <laughs> and showing us that we can be different in how we love and exist in this world. Help us live into that calling. Help us find that liberation of the new exodus in this season. And help us be your people, a conduit of your healing and your blessing in the world. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for being our king. We thank you for being risen. We pray all this in your powerful name. We love you, Father. Amen.